Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. This is Season 2 with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Um, One of the pastors here, uh, Pastor Mike, is with Pastor Joe, and they went to Philly. Some of our kids are there. We have 25 people uh, doing mission um, up in uh, Philly. I think they went to New York yesterday, New York City, and uh, they'll be back tonight. Uh, So if you're missing some people, that's where they're at. Uh, Other people are on vacation, and it's great. Uh, This is great weather to be outdoors. Uh, We had outdoor service at Sawyer. I just preached there, and then I ran down here, and uh, it's nice to be in air conditioning. I'll just, you guys, some of you guys are here for that, uh, and that's okay. Um, so we got one service, two services. It's great op- to have options. Here's a question. What does Julius Caesar, St. Patrick, Martin Luther, Sacagawea, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all have in common? Their humanity. Actually, uh, Butch said that uh, over at Sawyer. They're all people. Yes, they're all people, but they all were abducted. They were all kidnapped and held captive. What would it be like to be stolen, removed from your friends, family, and all that you knew? How would we, how would we respond to that? How would we deal with that? I don't, I don't think we're going to be suddenly taken off to the Middle East uh, and uh, forced to do what Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to to see happen to them. But we all experience trials, don't we? Loss and and heartache. How does God want us to respond when the world is just falling apart? Today we continue our series. We just started last week in the book of Daniel. Pastor Jeff shared with us an overview. We're going to dive into chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles on your phone or in, in a, in your book, on a book copy, we will have some of it displayed, some of the chapter displayed, but not all of it. We're going to be going through chapter 1. And I surprised Ben. I'm going to have him read for us uh, <laughs> off the cuff because I was like, ah, it, it's nice to hear other voices. Um, so I'm going to have you read. Uh, we're going to read chapter 1, just the first three verses to start. We're reading, I, we use the King, or not King James Version, the English Standard Version of the Bible uh, so that's the version we're using here. Will you want to come up here and read for us? And the words will be projected up here if you don't have a copy. The word of the Lord from Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. Thanks. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is light and life. It guides us into to our path. 
Uh, thank you for your help. We need your help to guide us in our path. Uh, we all have trials and losses and need guidance in how to process and work through the life that we have. We need you. We need your help as we explore your word and how it relates to our life. I need your help. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. The theme for our series, the pastors we got together, spent hours trying to, how do we capture this in a sentence? How do we capture the, the theme of Daniel in a sentence? We came up with this, as kingdoms rise and fall, remain faithful to the king who rules over all. As kingdoms rise and fall, remain faithful to the king who rules over all. Who is the king who rules over all? Jesus, God, yeah. Daniel has several kings, right? He's, he's under. We begin in these first few verses understanding he's under a king named Jehoiakim. Okay, that's the first king. He's the king, um, I think he's the 12th king, um, or maybe the 17th king. Maybe, maybe, actually, I think Hezekiah was the 12th king. We'll talk about him. But he's the, he's the 17th or 18th king of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. And we read, in his third year of reign, the king of Babylon surrounds Jerusalem. It's a bad thing. They cut off the supply lines. And in 605 B.C., Jerusalem falls. The Babylonians take Daniel and his friends to serve King Nebuchadnezzar as a eunuch. And if you don't know what that is, it's bad. It's painful, and you can't have kids. Um, now, why does God allow something like that to happen? Why that horror? Daniel could complain, this doesn't seem fair. What's the purpose? What's the point? His deportation resulted from bigger plans than a grab of wealth and power by Nebuchadnezzar. God is not idle in this horror, nor impotent. He is in control. He is in charge, using evil for ultimate good. He is orchestrating something that's bigger than Daniel. And the, and the people that we see here is judgment on Judah. The pieces were in play a hundred years before. Isaiah the prophet spoke to Hezekiah. He's the king of Judah, Hezekiah, the king of Judah. And, and, and Isaiah speaks this word of demise that we're experiencing in chapter 1. I found looking at those cross-referencing, understanding the, the whole context of Scripture was really helpful for me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this for you. And the words, I'll have them in the GEMS, our weekly email, if you get that or want to sign up for that. Um, it's 2 Kings chapter 20 that I'll be reading. There's a couple places where I'll read from the context. They'll also be up here so you can follow along. But this is fascinating. Uh, this is 100 years before again. The king of Babylon, a different king, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasure house. And the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, and all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah didn't show them. Then Isaiah, the prophet, came to the king, Hezekiah, and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to, to you? Hezekiah said, they've come from a far country, from, from Babylon. He said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing in my storehouse. I, I didn't show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. 
Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried off to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. How does Hezekiah respond to this? He says to Isaiah, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. Really. Why? And this is, we get into his mind. This is his thoughts. Here's why. Why? This is why, why not? If it will be peace and security in my days. You hear what happened? hundred years before. God orders such a punishment. But why is, why is a little show and tell bad? And maybe you can kind of get the hint. I'll try to draw it out. One word. One word is pride. How is displaying stuff prideful? What's wrong with that? Well, probably a lot is going on that we, beneath the surface, but we can see some things here in this passage in 2 Kings chapter 20. Notice how, or the ownership of all these things, as Hezekiah, as Hezekiah or Isaiah is describing these things, it's, it's his house, it's his storehouse, his treasure, his armory, his realm. Isaiah makes a note when he's interacting with Hezekiah. It's his, but all that his fathers had given him, or had stored up. Isaiah, I think his problem is he's not giving credit where credit was due. He's prideful. We also know the teaching of sin and God's goodness and justice and holiness. Such a severe punishment gives us a sense of the severity of, the, of what's at stake here in pride. I, I think we also see what's going on with how he reacts to it. When he hears this judgment, how does he, how's he respond? Is he broken? heartbroken at what his kids, his grandkids, his great-grandkids are going to have to experience? No, he's at peace. Why? Because it's going to work out for him. He's kicking the, the problem down the road. He's self-centered, selfish, and prideful. Uh, we just finished a series on Proverbs. You can check it on YouTube. Verse 16, verse 5, chapter 16, verse 5, it says this about pride. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. I think pride is like a really big issue in our, in our culture and in my heart. And so we see the severity of this consequence is actually something is going on in Daniel chapter 1 that's been, that's been in play for a, a long time. This, the representative of Israel was straying, and his children kept straying further and further away. Uh, you can read about him in the histories in the Old Testament. The Jehoiakim guy that we just read about in chapter 1, was even worse. Hezekiah did some good things. But in chapter, uh, uh, let's see if I, I wrote it down. Um, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. But Jehoiakim was bad, bad news. If you're taking notes, um, my first point is God is in charge. The fact that he, he knew this was going to happen 100 years before, talked about it, and it was a consequence, shows us that he is in charge. God is in charge. We see this throughout Daniel. In verse 2, if you look at your Bibles in chapter 1, verse 2, Nebuchadnezzar takes the, these kids, and their kids, um, to Babylon. Where's that? Modern-day Iraq. Where's that? It's Middle East, right? But it says a little bit more about this area. In verse 2, it says, He brought them to the land of Shinar. And then he goes on, where's that? It's the house of his God. Not our God, but the Babylonian God and the treasury of his God. 
Now, what do we know about this place? This has been fascinating, looking at where this passage connects with the rest of Scripture. You may have heard of Shinar. I, as a pastor, had not heard of this before, even though I've read it before. So I want to share with you where it is. Chapter 11 of Genesis. That's where we first hear this, the land of Shinar. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, this is what they said, Come, let us build our house, our, ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This is the story in Genesis chapter 11 of Babel, where God confuses the speech and spreads people across the world. Why does he react so strongly to this effort to reach heaven? It's the, exactly, you said it. I don't know who said it, but pride. It's the same reason, it's the same reason Hezekiah is in trouble. It's the same thing, reason we want to be careful when we deal with pride in our own lives. It's, what, it's what's driving the... The, these children out of, Bab- of Judah to Babylon. Pride. Pride is the problem. They were, being, they were thinking, we're going to reach heaven, and there's no mention of God. They're going to do this in their own effort, their own strength. It's godless, without faith, without trust. I, I mentioned um, Jehoiakim. So you have Hezekiah. He has like a like three kids, and then Jehoiakim's there. It's like Manasseh, Amnon, some really bad kings. Here's the end of Jehoiakim's life. This is what's said in the histories about him. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign. He gets a rise to power, CEO of the country. You know, this is, this is the best position out there. He's, he reigns for 11 years in Jerusalem. And this is what it has said. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, his God. He had all this power, and he goes his own way. He doesn't trust the Lord. Who's in charge? From Jerusalem to Babylon, from Babel back, fulfilling prophecy, ransacking a temple, bringing people out of the promised land to the enemy land. I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's in charge. Go, men, and they go. And for those 11 years where Jehoiakim's negotiating, at least the three where there's no Babylonian, you know, you know, conquering, you know, he's in charge. But he wasn't. They weren't. God is in charge. What happens next? Um, I think we see more of God's, God's reign and rule at work. So look in your Bibles at verse 3 again, and we're going to go through verse 7. We're just going to work through these verses. Could you, could you read those for me, please? Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. 
And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. Nice job. I, 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 did, I did poorly when I pronounced Belteshazzar. It kind of kind of spat out of my mouth at Sawyer's. Nice job. Um, the Babylonians were brainwashing their kids, if you read that. Did you see that? They're brainwashing these kids with a name change, with a diet change, with an educational change. So Daniel, if you look at the Hebrew, means God is my judge. Yahweh is my judge. They changed it to Belteshazzar, meaning protect the king of Babel, Babylon. Hananiah, meaning Yahweh is gracious. They changed to Shadrach, meaning I am very fearful of God, but their God. Mishael, meaning who is like God. They changed to Meshach, meaning I'm of little account. And Azariah, meaning Yahweh is a helper. They changed to Abednego, meaning servant of the shining one, a different God. Each name was an affront to their Hebrew faith. It was an imposition of another belief system. Now, picture that happening to you, that indoctrination, that re-education. And this has happened throughout the history of the world. People are, are moved, names are changed. Uh, right now in communist China, they, they've got the Uyghurs. You may have heard of that in the news. There are these re-education camps. How would we respond to be labeled, pressured, put in boxes, silenced? How do we respond when bad things happen that are out of our control? Notice Daniel's response. I think it's instructive for us. They pick their battles. They don't despair. They trust this God who's in charge. They don't run. They don't capitulate in every way. And we're going to face trials ourselves. Jesus said, as we follow him, as we follow him as our Lord and Savior, and we stand up for our faith, not always good things will happen. This is what he said. Don't fear those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two soul, sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are not all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. As we stand up for our faith, we could face persecution. We have a wonderful free country. There's a lot of good things happening here. But in some countries, you stand up for your faith, you die. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Fear him who kills, can kill the soul, the body and the soul. What does that mean? We cower in fear? I think it moves, means we move forward in loving our Lord and gracious God who's given us his son Jesus and forgiven us our sins. How do we respond to God who is in charge and allows us some pretty, pretty hard things to happen in our lives? And I know some of your stories. Some pretty hard things have happened. We trust the Lord. We move forward in faith. Keep looking at Daniel chapter 1 and see how he responds in verse 8. I love this. Daniel resolved. He had a resolution. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. We had the guts to do that. Now, you know, I have kids. I have six kids. To give up meat and only eat vegetables for, for 10 days. Here's his test. 10 days. 
It's horror. That's torture. Will we do that for Jesus if he called us to? Three, three years. Do you think they did that for three years? For us omnivores, that could be really hard. Would you stand up, whatever that test is, would you stand up the king who destroyed your country, stole its national treasure, and took the best and brightest to be slaves? That's what Daniel was doing. This is the crisis in chapter 1. And brings us to a second point that we see in the next verse, verse 9, is compassion. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So God is in charge. God is compassionate. We see this in verse 9. This word in Hebrew is also tender um, and tender mercy and tender love. God is the one being compassionate in the midst of this trial. And it's interesting, he's using the very enemy of Israel, of Judah, to be compassionate. This kindness was a direct answer. This is where reading cross-references is so worshipful. A direct answer to a prayer prayed by an ancestor 400 years before. We just finished a series in Proverbs, and the, author, the primary author is Solomon. Solomon is praying for his kids. He's praying for the future generations. And 400 years before, he prays in 1 Kings chapter 8. I'm going to read this. This is amazing. Listen to his prayer for his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandkids. May we pray this prayer. If they sin against you, for there's no one who doesn't sin, and you're angry with them, and they give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if in their heart, if in their heart, they, they, they turn to the land of which they've been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you've gave to their fathers, to the city that you've chosen, and the house that I built for your name, then, here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you, all their transgression that they have committed against you, and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. Grant them compassion in the sight of those who carry them captive. That's exactly what's happening in Daniel chapter 1. Isn't that cool? He is being, he's being granted compassion through this chief eunuch. He's like, can I do this, te- can I do this test, this 10-day test? You bet. Why? Because God is in charge and God is compassionate. It reminds me of Joseph. Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt. You, you might remember the story. And it says that the same word compassion, that the that the, the prison warner, warden had compassion on Joseph. Likewise, Daniel finds favor with his captors. Let's see how this keeps playing out in verse 10 and following. Uh, ben, you want to read for us? And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And so the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Wow, 10 times better. In this case, fatter is a good thing. You want to be fatter. Um, this, you see, the, the, there's this favor of the Lord. It's shown through here. Remember, the king of Babylon, he's, he's pushing against the king of Babylon. He conquers Judah, ransacks Jerusalem, plunders sacred items, abducts the sharpest children in the kingdom, begins this massive re-education program, and he has this defiled food issue. And I want to talk briefly, what is that about? I don't think this is a, a plug for us all being vegetarians. This, this food is different here. So if you remember, well, the word for defiled, it, 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 it means pollution, stain, or unclean. We don't use that word, pollution, stain, or unclean. I used it in high school once. I was like, that's really, that's defiling or something. And this mom was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And I, just, I remember where I was standing and her reaction, and I, was, I felt very embarrassed. But um, it's a word we don't use. That's what it means. It's just unclean, pollution, stain. So what food does that? Well, we, if you know your Old Testament or Jewish kosher laws, in Leviticus chapter 17, it prohibits the drinking of blood. It's possible that the king's table involves drinking blood. People do that today. People do that, and that's not kosher. That's not good. It could be ham or bacon. That's not kosher, not okay, because that's part of the rules. Uh, it's unclean. Now, in the New Testament, we see that there's food sacrificed to idols, and that's a big deal. I think that some, of, some of that's going on here, where this food is used in ritual worship. And so by them partaking in this food, they're partaking in worship of another god. And that's off limits. That's not okay. That's defiling. We don't know exactly, but whatever it was, this is not okay. So what does Daniel do? How does he respond he says no. See, God is in charge, and God is compassionate. And he's a challenge for us to trust God in the midst of our trials and to love God back for his compassion. We see that in how the trial works out, right? He, he's ten times better. He's, he's, he, he's, he's fatter. He's looking, he's looking good on this vegetarian diet where it shouldn't, shouldn't work that way, at least that in the mind of the Babylonians. This word compassion reminds me of Psalm 103. I love Psalm 103. It's, in it, it says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, just think of that. How as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, how far is the east from the west? They never touch. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. 
all that stuff in our background, our past, that we feel guilt and shame about, when we trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's all washed clean in the blood, and it is gone. He's not going to bring it up and say, okay, remember this? Remember this? This is what you have to do. He's not going to guilt us into following him. It's all washed clean. As it goes on, it goes on to, the, to say this, as a father shows compassion on his children. Think of the good experiences of the good fathers with showing compassion on their children, even more so. So the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. God is compassionate. Do you believe this? Then we love him. He's worthy to be beloved and followed and trusted in, even when all things seem lost. Let's keep reading and see how this works out. You have this, this tension. He, what's going to happen when the king sees these, these kids who have rebelled against his little rule here? You got to eat what I eat, or got to eat what I, what I, or drink what I drink. Ben, you, will you read for us? If you're going to follow along, it's verse 17 to the end. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. It's awesome. Amazing. So we learn these, king, these talented youth, they lost everything and God is in charge. They lost everything and God is compassionate. We lost everything, and here's my third point, God is king. Long after Jehoiakim dies, those 11 years, he dies, God is king. Long after Daniel dies, God is king. Nebuchadnezzar dies, Daniel's, uh, God is king. Long after Cyrus dies, the king of Persia, God is king. God is the one who endows Daniel, like Joseph, with the ability to understand dreams and visions. Because why? He is king. God orders that Daniel and his friends have learning and skill and wisdom. Why? Because he is king. He can do that. God was the one who ordained them to be ten times better than all the other people. Why? Because he's the king. That being the case, he's in charge, he's compassionate, he's king. So what? How does this change us? How does this help us? What does this do for Monday morning? Well, it sets the stage for the rest of the book. It's kind of the origin story of Daniel. Here's the message. No kingdom, no power can rise or fall apart from God's oversight. Nothing happens by accident or chance. He orchestrates molecules to move. His powerful word upholds the universe that we enjoy. He is the one who decrees favor. And that a specific vegetarian diet is better than a kingly one. That a teenager and his friend's ability surpasses his peers by the power of ten. That a person can interpret dreams without even knowing the dream that, that, that someone had. 
God is the king in chapter 1 who rules over all, issuing punishment and blessings. God is in charge, compassionate, and gracious, and, and the king. He is the everlasting king who always existed and always will exist. So here are three things that I see as response. God is in charge, so we trust him. This, challenge, this chapter challenges us to trust him in the midst of a life that things go well and things don't go well. Trust him. Uh, secondly, God is compassionate. Do we love him? He loves us. How does he demonstrate his love for us? Do you remember? Jesus, Romans 5.8, he demonstrates his love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to see his love displayed? You can look at the sun. He sends the sun on the rain, in, the, in the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You can also look at his son, who he died to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, every one of them. Our sin is not too powerful for God to wash clean. Since he loves us, he shows compassion on us. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Let us, let us obey him. Let us love him. Uh, finally, God is the king, so let us fear him. And not fear him like, like this kind of like, I'm afraid of you, run away, you know, like. No, let's honor and respect him and respect him in a way that honors and respects others. The Bible says we are to honor everyone. Do we do that? I think that's, like with pride, honor, this is a hard one for us. The Bible calls this in Second Peter or First Peter chapter two, honor everyone. What does that look like? I think when we fear the Lord, we fear His His word, and we want to honor everyone. It goes on to love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Daniel he honors Nebuchadnezzar, but he also resists, and so we walk this fine line of fearing the Lord above other people. There are times where we have to choose who our master is. It's it's not the one and the same. But we can honor our, our parents and coaches and teachers and bosses and leaders, and, and we honor God in doing so. And if, he ask, if they ask us to defile our God, we say, no way. And we follow the Lord, not those leaders. The reality is we are all captives. We're all strangers, exiles in this land, citizens, citizens of another realm, heaven, by faith in Jesus. That's a wonderful thing. Our hope isn't in this here and now material world. We can enjoy it, but we have another, another one fast approaching. We follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is, has us on mission. We are ambassadors in a dark world. We are lights in the darkness in our workplaces, school, neighborhoods, and homes. As we learn from Daniel, let us fix our gaze on the one who's in charge and compassionate and kingly. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. Your word is a light to us and a lamp unto our feet. It helps us guide our way. And, and where we struggle with trust, help us trust. Where we struggle with love, fill our hearts with your love. Where we struggle with honor and respect, fill us with honor and respect for you. Lord, I need your help. My friends here need your help. Do this in Jesus' great name. Amen.
Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.